Hey Team Fairchild and everybody else out there listening, welcome to another Refuel Team Fairchild episode. You guys know the drill, we're always looking for ways to increase connectivity amongst the community. Every episode we'll be reaching out to members around the base willing to share their stories of leadership, followership, some resiliency stories, some examples of failure and success, and so much more. So let's get this chapter going. We're doing another episode of Team Refuel Fairchild. Today I'm here with Tech Sergeant Carl Diddy. Carl Diddy belongs to the 92nd Aircraft Maintenance Squadron. He is currently a flying crew chief on the program. So I brought him here today to kind of give you guys an insight on what flying crew chiefs do. Uh, can you introduce yourself, sir? Hi, as, uh, as she said, uh, I'm Technical Sergeant Carl Diddy. Um, I've been in the Air Force for about 10 years. I've been on the FCC program for just about a little over nine. Uh, originally from Seoul, South Korea, there for quite a long time. I was a, I was a military child, um, and in that stint, I have actually attended college in the United States for about a year before I joined the Air Force. And when I joined the Air Force in 2011, I um, my first base was uh, Kadena for about two years, Peace for about six and a half, seven years, and currently stationed here at Fairchild. But aside from that, I have been a flight line crew chief since the beginning. Cool. Okay. So what made you want to join the FCC program? Uh, the FCC program was, was I really didn't have much of a choice. It's, it okay. started out, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it didn't start out as the FCC program. It was, the trips came along and the bodies were required. And they took anybody who was qualified and sent them on the road, even though they didn't hold the title as FCC. Uh, throughout the, and a couple of more trips in, and the recognition of that the it was, it was a job well done every time the aircraft returned, uh, they eventually considered me as a DCC, and then put me into the FCC program and provided me all the all the needs and the flight suits and and all the things that make it cool um, to be part of the program. And then when that happened, the trips were more frequent, and you were called on more often. Okay, um, for the people that aren't maintenance aircraft maintenance specifically, what is the DCC? Uh, the dedicated crew chief is pretty much the, uh, it's, it, it's a program where uh, two crew chiefs or even more um, have specific tail numbers assigned to them. Uh, this is kind of like where the term my jet comes into place. It's like this is my airplane, this is my jet. So every time you're dropped off at your tail, uh, she's kind of like your baby, like your own personal classic car. Um, it's your work, it's, uh, it's, it's your cleanup. Um, you can kind of make, you can personalize your aircraft and you can really make it yours and, and the care really goes into it. You can, it. It helps put a lot of pride um, in your job. When there's, when it's few and far between, it's hard to find um, just just because of how the work is. Uh, it's hard to find, it, it's hard to be proud in, in, in certain aspects uh, depending on uh, how long you've done this and, and when things don't change. So to, to have your own aircraft and to call it yours is really a step forward to know that it's like they entrust me with this airplane um, and I'm going to make it mine. Do they have a DCC program here or is it primarily FCC right now? I think they used to, but I think it's just primarily the FCC program. Okay, cool. So you got, when did you get to Fairchild? I got to Fairchild in October of 2019. Okay, did you join the program directly or did you take some time to think about it? I took some time to think about it. Uh, I missed the work, so about six months in, uh, I finally got all my qualifications up to what Fairchild wants me to do, and then I floated into the program. Okay. What are some of those? Mm -hmm. What are some of the specifications specific to crew chiefs that you have to? Or I'm sorry, 
flying crew chiefs that you have to do compared to regular crew chiefs? The work that you do here as a five level or a seven level, if you wanted to be an assistant, you had to be a fully qualified five level. If you wanted to be a primary, you had to be a fully qualified seven level. Okay. Uh, the only difference is, is um, having to hold your own. Because if you go on this program and you go out on a trip and something happens to your aircraft to where it cannot return home, you are on your own. You got to know the right people to call. You have to call, and you got to do your best to troubleshoot. Uh, if it's within your expertise, that you handle it. If it's not, that you know the right avenues to receive help. So, which means if it has to come from off station, to where you have to call a team in, that you know how to do that. How many people are on the program right now over at AMSS? Did you guess? I don't. Uh, I think we're at full capacity for primaries and assistants. I don't know what that number is, but. Uh, I'm not really sure. Okay. What are some of the reasons you stay on the program? The program is actually very exciting. The mission is always changing. And the fact that you can, you have the bragging right to tell people that you travel. Um, a lot of people that you speak with wish that they traveled. And, you know, sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. But it's like myself and many others are traveling on a frequent basis. Uh, people wish to go to Hawaii. It's just like, well, I'm Hawaii probably a couple times a year before, before the year is over, and it's uh, it's exciting. It's exciting just to see new places. Um, not only that, it's not on your dime. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Air Force is paying you to go to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. The work comes first, but it's just like if you if you can if you can afford to sightsee, you can definitely go and break off and go 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 uh, go explore new cultures. Yeah. Where, uh, how, how often do you go TDY as an FCC? I think, I think a government passport is, is, is becoming more and more of a norm um, because uh, we, freak, we, we, we do travel to countries that you least expect to travel. Um, and besides the qualifications, there are no requirements. I think it's just a matter of, you know, it's like, just don't be broken. What was the other question? How often do you, is there a... A certain amount of times you have to fly a year or a quarter? You have to fly at least once a quarter. Um, that's, a, that's a quota. But I fly about maybe at least once a month. Okay. Um, I'll be going somewhere. Uh, and I think like the most, I think when I started out in the program, the most I've ever flown was six in a month, um, which was really taxing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing maybe that's not a downfall to being an FCC, but... Something that people have to consider if they're interested in joining the program is you could be gone a lot. Yes, yes, you could be gone a lot. Um, you are selected quite a bit because you are, you know, when you hold the title of FCC, it's almost in between the lines. It's like you're one of the best at your jobs. Um, the air crew trusts you, your managers trust you, and those who are not on the program who see you also trust you. You've done on the FCC patch. Uh, does that make you somebody? Well, that's all in the eyes of the beholder. Um, but when the FCC patch is seen, that means you can do just about a little bit of everything. Um, but when it comes to the FCC program, yes, you have to brace for the, the frequency of travel. Sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's a lot. For those who have um, nothing to leave behind when they go travel, it could sure. be uh, not as taxing. Um, but with those with families or even pets or, or even even um, having issues at home, uh, some things that they wish that either the timing could be bad, but they are required to go because it is a commitment. 
there are ways. It's just, the, the program is not black and white. They're just kind of like, okay. it's like if you can't go, you can't go. But it's sometimes it's like we have nobody. We really have nobody. Um, so we're sorry this is happening right now. Um, but we need you to go. And it can be it can be very inconvenient at times. Okay. And uh, it's it's. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Okay. No, no. I think everyone understands that. In in different AFSCs across the base, I'm sure there's certain situations where you're asked to go TDY, asked to deploy. Maybe things aren't great at home, or maybe they are good at home, but you have pets and you got a a two week two week notice tasker, right? So unfortunately, sometimes we are asked to be very flexible and we make do with what we can. We would hope that someone else would do that for us. If maybe we were suddenly unable to deploy and someone had to short fill for us last minute. That is part of the Air Force game. You did say something about how FCCs need to know a little bit about everything. So does that mean you can be another AFSC possibly and be in the crew chief program or the flight crew chief program? Or is it strictly for crew chiefs? It's, it's not strictly for crew chiefs. You can be cut trained. We even have, um, I know of one specialist, uh, Kyle Householder, is actually an FCC, but his primary job is avionics. Yep. Um, so he, so uh, other specialists can come into and learn how to be a crew chief and attend the FCC program and progress from there and actually get very good at our job while knowing another expertise. And, but crew chiefs, on the other hand, our, 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 the consistency of our job is primarily the aircraft, the airframe, pulse systems and everything and if something goes wrong uh, hydraulically or anything that in anything that involves the engines uh, we can do so much to troubleshoot before we end up having to start calling for more help sure uh, com nav avionics anything electrical is a little is a little more those, those components are a tad bit more sensitive and, and and require a lot of training before you can start you know, going and checking, you know, what's wrong with this thing? Is it okay to unplug? Is it okay? Is it okay to turn off? Is it okay to turn on? Um, we just, if, if, if you're not experienced, it's really not something that we should be touching. Okay. And a lot of the times we don't, we call home, we go like, how far can I go before it becomes, before I'm not qualified to go any further? Um, if we can take it that far and at least troubleshoot to a certain extent, it helps a lot for the incoming team that is going to help you. Um, so that's kind of when you write, ask the right questions and you make the right moves and you make sure that you've noted it all down. So when the team does come, it kind of, it can save a lot of time and they can go from there and then troubleshoot even further as to what's the problem. Okay. So in an ideal world, it would almost be nice if you could have maybe one FCC on a trip be a crew chief and then maybe have another one be some sort of specialty, especially if that specialty was fully qualified in a couple of different career fields yeah yeah it is um uh it was it was really it was really fortunate um if you can have a third wipe which is what we call so you would have a primary and assistant sure. and we'll call it a third wipe this is pretty much a, a floating position if they can afford to fill it and we'll try and take somebody outside of our career field to come see what our world is like and maybe live what their recruiter was preaching to them about air force travel and then we'll take them with us and Maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't, but in, in when it comes to crunch time, when it comes to real-world operations off-station and something within their systems has a malfunction, there's no there's no pause, there's no wait. There's no waiting for me to read through a TO, I'm a, a manual that I'm unfamiliar with. They already know where to go, they already know how to troubleshoot, which means it cuts the time down to uh, uh, 
move the mission forward instead of having it stall, which has happened to me a couple of times. Sure. Yeah, we don't expect crew chiefs to know our jobs. For those of you that don't remember, I am ComNav, so I do understand everything Sergeant Diddy is talking about today. Um, we actually do have another FCC, or you guys have another FCC, I should say. Uh, Sergeant Forbes, he should be back from deployment soon. So you'll have that at least both sides of the avionics house. Mm -hmm. I think you have Sergeant Gordon from E&E currently. Yeah, okay, yeah. So there are a couple, but there's always room for a handful more. I've actually seen their their requirements or how many people they're allowed to have from special other specialties, and most of them were not filled. So any specialists out there listening, I would definitely get a hold of their their section leads who, is it still Sergeant Odom? It's our NCC managers. Uh, currently, we have three. One of, one of them's uh, about to go to Shepard, so um, that's Sergeant Waller. But uh, Technical Sergeant uh, Odom and Staff Sergeant Jones okay. uh, would be the POCs as to whether or not, uh, as to getting all the information to join the program. Cool, yeah. I think, I remember when Sergeant Jones just took over recently or got prepped to take over for Sergeant Waller. Are there any incentives? Is there any, I mean, it's pretty cool that you get get flight suits, right? Yeah. And especially if you guys get the new two-piece ones, you can blend in and probably wear those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty easily, anytime you want. Are they any more, are they more comfortable? Uh, they are, they are. They're they're loose, they're not tucked in. Okay. Uh, they, 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 they breathe easier. I'm more of the green suit kind of guy. I'm a little more old school. Um, I don't know why, is this my first flight suit? I'll wear it until I can't. Uh, it's just it's 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 just, it's pride. I still fit in it surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you had it for? Nine years. Nine years. Nine oh, years. So you've had it the whole time you've been a an FCC. Yeah, there was a pause. I didn't wear it when I was at my last duty station at Pease when you were there. Okay. And then um, but over here it was uh it was more accepting. So sure. I was like, yeah, I'll wear okay. it. Are they even offering those out, or is it pretty much those are being phased out? It's being phased pieces. out, so the two yeah. pieces are, are more and more frequent. Okay. I have the two pieces. I'm they're just, they're just, I'm not ready to put them on yet. Sure. I will be, but it's just uh, the green ones still work. Okay. Yeah, those are the pajama-looking suits that you see a lot of air crew walking around in, the little zip-ups, if you guys maybe weren't sure what we were talking about. They have gone to two-piece OCPs, very similar to what we wear. But uh, like Sergeant Diddy said, they're a little bit more comfortable looking. And then, again, they don't have to blouse anything. So before you go trying to correct somebody, make sure that they're not wearing a new flight suit because they're allowed to not tuck their, <laughs> their boots or their pants into their boots, guys. That's one incentive, extra mm -hmm. uniforms, getting to wear something a little bit more comfy on the road. Is there anything else? There is. There is. There's a, um, there's a pay incentive, uh, mm -hmm. which we call um, a special duty pay. And assistants receive an extra $75 stipend. Nice. And then the uh, primaries receive $150 okay. extra every month um, for this. But this is a, it's a, it's a one-year commitment, uh, and it's renewable. Um, I think, like, one year, one year is, is, is done, uh, and you want to lateral to a different job and you want to leave the program, you, you may leave. Okay. Um, but you have to have, if you are going to leave the program while your commitment has not been fulfilled, you have to have a very good reason as to why, because FCC managers can prevent that from happening so it's just like I don't want to do this anymore it's too exhausting I'm tired um, they will see what the mission dictates and go like no oh, it's like sorry okay. it's like it's like we understand uh, that's unfortunate and it's just like but right now 
we need you. Okay. And uh, in maintenance, that happens. It, um, um, but that's how it's going to be brief. The, the managers are going to give it to you straight. It's like this is a one-year commitment. If you quit, uh, that reflects poorly okay. on you. And, 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 you know, if you're going to become an FTD instructor, if you're going to be an instructor of some kind somewhere else, if you're going to go lateral to a special duty, and this is going to come within uh, your commitment, that can be a workaround. Okay. But okay. if it's flat out because you're tired of it, you're, you're not motivated to become an FCC, and you just want out, that reason is not strong enough. But if you continue to reflect that negativity, then they will have a reason to terminate your contract. And when, you ter- when your contract is terminated, it does go on record. As to as back to incentives, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little something, and okay. this is from a so our primary mission as FCCs is um it's called the uh, the 81X mission, which is nuclear deterrence, and that is our primary reason why we go on these things. And I'm just gonna read verbatim uh, to this crew uh, uh, chief handbook um, to help us out when those exercises occur, and that is to um, detect, deter, and prevent attacks against the United States and our allies. Join with the other combatant commands to defend the nation uh, should deterrence fail. So, um, pretty much, to just to dumb it all down, if our adversaries decided that a nuclear attack was their best course of action against us, then we would have to respond very quickly um, to ensure that we are doing what we can to defend and fight back. Uh, so in many cases, without getting into too many details, a lot of preparations go in, and if the aircraft require to fly, our primary mission is to fly with that. Um, we are also uh, tasked to go off station and travel a lot, as we discussed before. And uh, not only do you get to travel and see the world uh, when you're selected to, you can also uh, receive a little extra uh, on the money side. And not only that, the mission is always changing. Our, our primary mission, uh, not only was it for nuclear deterrence, but is to, is to refuel. Uh, if we're not refueling, we have cargo capabilities. If, we're not, we don't, if we don't have cargo capabilities, we could be a flying bus if we wanted to. We could transport sure, people. Yeah. Uh, not only that, uh, we can also become a, uh, a, a flying ambulance. Aeromedical evacuation, yeah. in short, AE. So it's like that when I say AE, that a, AE... That's what I mean is aeromedical evacuation. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, and especially like when you deploy, there are a lot of, pr- there's a lot of things that this aircraft provides that you can be proud of. Um, you just have to seek the answers as to like what your mission was involved. Instead of having to suspect, work on an aircraft, and you know, that's the end of your days. It's like when an aircraft lands, find out what they did. And then when you find out what they did, you know, it's just something you could pat your back, you, you could pat your back on. <laughs> pat yourself on the back with. So, um, edit that. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Okay, okay. I'm pretty good at this. And it's, okay, excellent. Uh, so, me personally, besides the travel and, you know, it's just the, uh, the, the, the air, air refueling that we do and, and, you know, the deployments of, you know, helping out, you know, ticks, which is troops in contact, uh, knowing that, you know, we're helping not only, you know, Americans, but we are also helping our allies, uh, you know, troops on the ground. You know, giving fuel to to fighters to ensure that, you know, we're helping them, you know, win the fight. But uh, one of one of uh, my strongest incentives, and in fact, it saved my career, uh, was when I flew Airvacs at Kadena. So when I started out at Kadena, I have flown more than twenty Airvac missions, and there are two that I recall that I am 
the most proud of. The only th- the only thing about Aravac missions is the one thing that you're not left that the one thing that you're left without is whether or not the patient you're transporting made it all right. You know, we get them there, and then we we don't. It's it's not our business, but you know, it would be really nice to know that our efforts, you know, help them live. Yeah. Um. So I've 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 flown many many babies that had complications that were prematurely birthed, or even had complications upon birth, and to go from you know and the reason why Aravac exists. Uh, at Kadena Air Base is because if there's a medical condition that cannot be treated there, we are sitting on standby 24-7, 365, ready to take on patients and to fly them wherever that wherever that can help them. Uh, we can go as far as San Antonio, Texas from the Pacific to help whoever needs it. Uh, a lot of the times it's either to Guam or to mainland Japan or to Hawaii. But uh, again, as I said, you know, all the patients that, that I have flown and carried um, I have no idea whether or not they made it all right. Um, but I'd like to tell two stories if I can. Sure. Uh, my first story was, it was actually a, uh, it was, it was something that inspired me. It was, it inspired me. I, I, I call it orchestrated chaos. And, um, what happened was, was we, we, we picked up this patient at a Marine base at mainland Japan and we had a whole air force medical team from doctors to nurses to med techs. And we had uh, this very special pallet that can carry patients and medical equipment. What was crazy about the whole thing was the Navy nurse was strapped to this patient's gurney. And this patient was on, was, he was basically on life support. Uh, and from the transition from where he was being transported to being transported onto the aircraft at some point probably Maybe he had to be somewhat disconnected to a couple of things just for the sake of transportation and then rehooked up. When that was happening, I have no idea what this lady was doing. All I could do was watch. This lady was, her, her waist was strapped to the gurney and the aircraft was in movement. And uh, as we were at the end of the runway, this lady did not skip a beat. She was like a composer in front of this man, going from one side of his body to another side of his body, hooking things up didn't skip a beat. Her facial expression stayed one way. Nothing could scare this woman. And I'm watching her. And next thing you know, I'm just like, is she ever going to take a seat? Uh, and then as I observed a little more closely, she had a strap around her waist and it's like, she's not going to sit down. And the engines got loud and we started to move and everything started to shake. And as I was watching this, I was like, it was crazy to see this woman just in, you know, in upon takeoff, the gear coming up and all the motions of the aircraft going up and down, this lady was making it happen. And I was just like, I have never seen somebody so in control during such a chaotic moment. And then when we leveled off, she was finished. She sat down and that was the end of it. I was like, wow. Because, you know, it's just like, you know, she was so composed under everything. And I was like, um, and and you know, even in aircraft maintenance, you have some some critical moments where it would pe- put people under a panic, yes. and um, panic ensues chaos. Panic spreads very quickly, and this lady it almost didn't even look like she was breathing, like she didn't need to breathe as she was doing this whole thing. And uh, uh, but during that same flight, even though she, I was watching her inspire me, 
Um, I took that and I absorbed it because during that flight, I forget where, I think we were going back to Okinawa. We heard uh, something happened to the aircraft and the aircraft in flight does not have a lot of creature comforts. It's not quiet. Um, if it's hot, it's hot. If it's cold, it's cold. It's yep. just, it's just like, you know, this, this thing, this is a machine of war. Creature comfort is the last thing, uh, that anybody was thinking of. You know, your, your bathroom is stone age. You know, you have, you have two tubes in a box and that's what you got to work with. <laughs> so, uh, in, in, in the midst of this flight, I was an assistant, I was an A1C and I heard, and I had, I had my hearing protection on yep. and I heard this very two faint booms, uh, I didn't know what it was. It was boom, boom. That was all it was. And I thought it was, I thought it was an innocent sound. I didn't think anything of it. And then my primary comes up to me and he comes real close because he didn't want to yell. He goes like, don't worry about it. Number three engine had a compression stall. So we're running, we're flying on three engines. We need to come to the front. We need to monitor and see what our next uh, course of action is to be. Luckily, it was not anything too crucial. Uh, at, for the brief moment, we were all kind of holding our breath, but we were able to start that engine back up. So we got all four back up going, and we got the patient where he needed to go. Uh, the outcome, I don't know. Uh, hopefully for the best. Uh, then again, this was almost 10 years ago. Uh, the, the environment is really something else. It's like, it's like aircraft maintenance is not a very glamorous job. It's not something you can advertise for people to come in. It doesn't, um, you know, in the, in, in the coldest of days, you know, you're in it. You know, think about your coldest day. Think about your hottest day, your most, the muggiest day of your life. Think about, you know, the worst case scenario in your personal life that you have to, and in, in, in your professional life has, your professional, the professional part of your day hasn't even started. Um, you know, you're there. And sometimes a lot of the times people say, like, I don't get paid enough to do this. And sometimes that's true, but you got to do what you got to do. But when that happens long enough to where it starts to, it starts to kind of like bring your spirit down a little bit and to witness a mission like that, I realized that even though, even though like I'm pretty exhausted with what I'm doing, seeing that and how we all came to play was a refresh and it reminded me as to like, my job, even though, you know, it benefits me, it applies beyond me as well. And saving lives was the last thing on my mind when I realized what this mission was. The, uh, the second story is also another AIRVAC mission. Um, and remember how I said that all the patients that I've ever flown, I have no idea what their outcome was, um, except this mission. Okay. This mission, we didn't fly a patient. It was a standard air refueling mission. We were alerted and we arrived at our aircraft and we were briefed. And we're just like, we're not taking on any patients. It's a standard air refueling mission. Um, but what happened was is uh, a, uh, sadly, a, a Marine helicopter crashed in Thailand and uh, a, a, the pilot was pinned and the helicopter caught fire. So a C-17 was alerted out of Hickam, which is in Hawaii. And they, they took two crews and they flew as fast as they could to Thailand to pick up this patient. We were going up because as soon as that C-17 landed, this patient was so critical that they did not have time to be on the ground to take on more fuel and fly to San Antonio, Texas. Okay. So our tankers were alerted going like, you are going to be their refueling source so they can make it back to the United States. So in that process, I have flown so many of these missions that... Uh, I became a little used to 
my environment, okay. and and uh, and um, the uh, the, nostal- the 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 high uh, was was few and far between because I've done this so many times. It's like I've seen it before. Okay. Uh, I understand. Um, uh, I, I know what speed we're working at. Yep. Um, so, uh, but it was still extremely rewarding, you know, to be called on to do these kinds of missions. Especially, I haven't, you know, I'm 21, and I am doing these things, uh, uh, and. It, it's incredible to say that at that age that I was doing these kinds of things. Um, but anyways, coming back to my story, uh, we, we took off and we were, we had a, we had a significantly heavy fuel load and, uh, the C-17 was already in the air. They flown from Hickam to Thailand. I'm sure it was, it was I think it was seven hours, okay. less, maybe more. Yeah. Uh, but the first crew did the first and they picked them up. Uh, they picked up the patient and they flew. And in that process, uh, they came, we met up with them, delivered gas, they disconnected, and they flew to Texas, and I've never heard anything of it again. Uh, and that was, I think, one of my last airbag missions before I PCSed out to Peace, New Hampshire. So when I got to New Hampshire, Kadena's behind me, and when I got to New Hampshire, I was tasked with, I think, my second TDY. And uh, this was another AeroVac, but it was a little less... Uh, wasn't as extreme. Okay. We were just simply transporting. And of course, with everybody that I meet that do these kinds of missions, I always ask, you know, what was your most rewarding mission? And I, I was sitting next to a nurse. I may get her name wrong, but her, I forgot her first name, but she was Captain Ewing. Um, I sat next to her and I was like, well, what's your, what was your most rewarding experience? And she's like, well, I um, was out of Hickam. And I got alerted at C-17, and we were flying straight to Thailand with a Marine helicopter that crashed, and there was a helicopter pilot that was pinned and burned. Um, and I was like, and I sat there, and I was very quiet, and very slowly the hairs on my, my arms were rising. She went, picked him up, and she threw a cherry on top. Like, we even got air refueled, and I got to sit in the cockpit and see. <laughs> and I sat there, and I think she, re- she returned the question back to me. And that was when I had to generate my own story to match hers. And um, I told her that I was alerted uh, on a day that I didn't pick up a mission, uh, pick up a patient. And uh, we went to go refuel a C-17 that was flying to Thailand to pick up a burn helicopter, uh, burn helicopter patient, uh, a pilot, burn helicopter pilot. Um, and um, I was in the boom pod watching this refuel happen. She was in the cockpit and I was in the boom at about, uh, I think around 25,000 feet, more yeah. or less. We were probably about 60 feet from each other and we never even knew. Yeah. And I had to ask, and again, this was none of my business. How did the patient do? It was the only time I've ever asked. Out of all the missions that I did, I was like, I gotta know, just one. And um, she said he lived. And I almost cried. I almost, I, <laughs> you can see me, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it right now. It's like, yeah. I almost cried. And I was just like, can you give me any details as to what happened? It's just like, well, we picked him up. Uh, in fact, her, she was sharing the same, same excitement because it was such yeah. a, this, this defines, it's like, this is extremely smart, small air force. Yes. And the fact that she was over there and I was over here on two separate sides of the globe and we met at some point, didn't even know. And next thing you know, we're sharing the same story. And so what she told me was, is that the pilot did make it. They got him to Texas uh, in time. Sadly, he lost his hand, uh, but he was recovering very well. 
and he retired as a lieutenant colonel, and he's with his family. Um, so, uh, but she also said that that his his recovery journey was on Facebook, oh, and okay. I was just like, and I was like, I would very much would like to know that page. Yeah. And she says like, well, it's called the Forney Journey, F O R N E Y, I believe, the Forney Journey, and I'm not really sure if it's still up and running or if anyone's running it anymore. But the pilot's wife was running the page and was simply just giving updates as to his recovery. And I reached out, and I had footage of the C-17 being refueled, you know, as he was in there being treated. Um, I shared the footage, and I wrote to them going like, it's like, I have a video here for you knowing that I was in the tanker that refueled, that got your husband to, or, or got the pilot, you know, back to Texas. And, uh, and I was extremely grateful. I was extremely humbled. It saved my career. Uh, because I was at that point where, um, you know, I was a four-year enlistee and I had just had it um, because it was just, uh, the, the winds were few and far between. As many times as I've flown missions, um, uh, the workload back at my first duty station was, was, was a lot to handle. Sure, yeah. And um, it almost, it almost became, it wasn't, it wasn't detrimental, but I'm just like, I'm done. You know, I'm yeah. ready to pull the plug until I've heard that story. And I am so glad to this day that I asked that question. It's just like, I know I've done a lot after that, but that was what, that almost felt like the start of my career. And um, that is why I continue to stay on the MCC program is to understand that these missions are always changing. The reasons that they're changing is, is, is indefinite. And uh, it's always exciting um, to know that you're going to be doing something different every time. You're going to be supporting a different agency. You're going to be saving a life. You're going to be doing a humanitarian um Back at Pease, you remember when, I think, was it Puerto Rico uh, had a disaster? Yep. Or uh, somewhere along just south of Florida, you know, we supported that mission. We threw rollers on. We sent a ton of water down there. And, um, you know, that effort, you know, it, it took it, you know, it, it helped. <laughs> That's the best word I could find. Yeah, it's, like, it's like it, it helped. Um, so the incentive, so back to your question of incentive, um, you just don't know what you're getting into next. I mean, granted, if you're not flying a lot and you're on the program, you're just kind of on the ground watching these airplanes do local sorties. But when you are tasked with a mission and you fulfill that mission, it's a breath of fresh air. It's almost like it's a recharge. You are working a lot, but you get to see a different uh, scenario. It's it's a different scenery. It's a different reason. Um, You're on your own. you got to make your own decisions. And... um, Let's just say that 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 nine point ninety nine times the pilots are extremely grateful that you're there and they're always happy to see you, uh, and especially if you grow rapport with the air crew, you know you're always encouraging them to have them select you on your next trip, uh, and that's uh, that's extremely rewarding to be recognized. Um, but besides that, you know it's all up to how new FCCs or current FCCs perceive it. But those AirVac missions was what I lived for, uh, carrying on forward. Uh, my deployments definitely did help, um, uh, but you know, on a deployment, I'm not an FCC. I, I'm, I am an FCC, but I'm not flying with the aircraft. So the rewarding part is when the aircraft returns, or if there's a, an intelligence brief going, like your efforts made this happen. Yeah. And um, it's how it's how you take it. And yeah. I take it all positively. <laughs> that's that's a really good mentality, and it's not always easy to do that, but. Knowing at the end of the day, you can stress about something or you can try and find the one good thing in it. I mean, stress is going to weigh you down, knowing that there's nothing you can do about it either way. But hey, you know, 
at least at the end of the day, the plane came back, the pilots came home safe, the boom came home safe. It was a crappy day, but everyone came home or everyone came back to station. And that in itself is a good day. So just looking for those little things. Um, I keep doing that. It's hard. It's hard maintenance. It's hard all over the Air Force. The more I've been sitting in the seat, the more I learn about all the other AFSCs around the base, all the other squadrons. We've got it rough. Some other people do too. Uh, the type of taxiing work we have compared to other AFSCs around the base is not always the same. For us, it's a lot of labor, hard labor. For other ones, it's hard thinking all the time. You may not think it, but it can be hard and stressful having to think and sit behind a desk all day too. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Or I, I really appreciate those stories. Those I, I'm hoping those are a reason maybe someone else is thinking about joining. If you think about joining the FCC program, you you have to take it as it goes. Um, sometimes your missions are going to stay the same all the time, and every so often it's going to change. Sure. Um, it's extremely what we do. As much as it's criticized. Think about those who aren't doing it, and <laughs> I'm not. I don't think they're missing out on much, but the stories that you tell, the odds are, depending on how well you tell it, you have the attention of just about everybody. Because I don't care who you are, when you look up and you see an airplane, you're gonna stare at it for a little while. But could you imagine telling it, being being the person to go like, um, actually, actually. I'm going to mix this up a little bit, but every every so often, whenever somebody asks me, when I'm you know what I do in the Air Force, uh, in Fairchild specifically, just because you see tankers fly on all the time, I tell them that I am a, a just just to keep it simple, it's like I'm a flying jet mechanic, just to get them to understand. It's like because if, if I tell them I'm a flying crew chief, they ask what a crew chief is, and then they immediately go to like, are you, do you work like NASCAR? Because you know how it's like these yeah. like pit bosses and whatnot. But um, it's like, no, but every so often, if the timing is right, a tanker will be flying above us. And I could just point right at the sky and it was like, every so often, I fly in that thing. And, you know, the uh, the mailman or the FedEx delivery driver would look at me going like, that's crazy. It's like, pe people don't realize it, but the day people stop doing this job, do they start to realize that they are in a quite a unique and elite position not everybody can say that they've worked on aircraft, sure, let alone yeah. military aircraft, yeah. and not only that, traveled with them. Um, and a lot of a lot of people here, you know, you know people younger than us, uh, share stories that, you know, you hear old people tell about. <laughs> I mean, like these are like this is like these are like the stories you come across, like it's something that your grandparents would tell you. But here it is. You're like this this 26-year-old this staff sergeant yeah. going, like, I have traveled all over the world. And, and myself, I've, I've traveled quite a bit. Uh, I've traveled all over the Pacific for every mission or another. I've traveled all over, or at least some of Europe. I've never seen Africa, and I've never seen South America. I would like to if I'm ever given the opportunity. Uh, but yeah, I've been all over the United States. And I can almost say because... Um, because you're 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 the FCC on an aircraft, a lot of times you're not carrying anybody, so you have a certain number of aircrew, and then you have the FCCs, and you have the whole aircraft to yourself. Yeah. With bunks in the back, so you can yeah. lay down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, if uh, if if you, so anyways, back to your question, 
What was your question again? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. So, like, in, in regards to, you know, if you feel like that you're running stagnant, like you've hit a plateau, uh, regardless of whether or not you're a three, five, or seven level, um, do try and ask. And you have to, you have to seek it out. Um, you have to seek out what you want. Yeah. And if you currently don't qualify to, um, if you don't check all the boxes to make what you're seeking out happen, make sure you go and take care of that. And uh, make sure that if you want to go fly, that you're pushing to fly. And you want to mm-hmm. see something different, you're pushing to so go, go see something different. Everyone is going like, I wish I can go TDY. I wish I can do this. I wish I can do that. And it's just like, go ask what you got to do to get on that. And then go do it. Yeah. Because, you know, it's... it's uh, I'm not going to say it's not difficult. It'll be challenging. Yes. It'll be challenging, but it's 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 not that difficult. Um, if you're easy, it's like if uh, um, as 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 long as you're coachable. If you're coachable, that you can you can kind of like step outside and do something that makes you uncomfortable, and succeed or and get better at it, um, then you're you're worth calling upon more than once uh, to go on trips. But then again, if you become an FCC, the primary mission is nuclear deterrence. So we do practice that a lot. And then the trips will come afterwards. Okay. So, and of course, a little extra money is always good too. A so. <laughs> couple extra uniforms as well. A couple extra uniforms. Hey, well, I really appreciate you coming and spending an hour with us today, Sergeant Diddy, and just explaining the FCC process, sharing some of those stories. I didn't even know that about you, and I've known you for well, only like two or three years, but still. Those are stories that I hadn't had the opportunity to hear, so I do appreciate you sharing those with us today. Um, I guess that's it. Another episode is over, guys. Make sure you tune in next week, and we'll see what happens then. Have a spectacular day. All right, everyone. That wraps up another Refuel Team Fairchild episode. If you guys have show ideas, people you'd like to hear from, or even would like to join me on an episode, please send an email my way. You can email me at 92 fss.fsdp dot fairchild caa at us.af.mil. All right, you guys have a spectacular day.